It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. After weeks of anticipation, Iowa voters braved the cold to cast their ballots last night. As many polls predicted, former President Donald Trump won big, receiving more than half of the state's vote at 51%. Thank you. We love you all. What a turnout, what a crowd. And I really think this is time now for everybody, our country, to come together. We want to come together. Uh, whether it's Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative, it would be so nice if we could come together and straighten out the world and straighten out the problems and straighten out all of the death and destruction that we're witnessing. It's practically never been like this. It's uh, just so important. And I want to make that a very big part of our message. We're going to come together. The real competition, however, ended up being for second place as Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley battled head-to-head for the runner-up spot, DeSantis ending up taking it home, but by a small margin, receiving 21.2% of the vote, while Haley followed closely behind with 19.1%. Vivek Ramaswamy, who came in fourth with 7.7%, took to the stage after disappointing showing to announce he was suspending his campaign and putting his support behind the former president. Now the remaining candidates set their sights on New Hampshire as they hope to win that state's first-in-the-nation primary next week. For a conversation on this and more, we bring in our panel, former Tennessee Congressman Harold Ford Jr., host of the Ben Dominich podcast, Ben Dominich. Boys, uh, it's over. Iowa's in the books. Ben, what do you, what's your takeaway? Well, I don't think all that much changed, though I think things uh, kind of uh, shook out in a way that perhaps surprised some people if you've been paying attention to vibes running up to this election. Over the past month or so, we've seen the narrative play out in the media and in some of the polling showing Nikki Haley's improving odds. And I think if she had matched or exceeded the number that we had in that final Des Moines Register poll, uh, which saw her, you know, four points ahead of Ron DeSantis, we could be having a serious conversation at this point about whether DeSantis should drop out or not. Instead, he overperformed his uh, number in that poll slightly by about five points, you know, edging out uh, Haley in terms of coming in second and taking eight delegates. And so there really isn't a rationale to say, you know, DeSantis needs to be out. I also think that there's this latent thing that was happening at the end of that uh, run where Donald Trump finally was critical of Vivek Ramaswamy in part because, as it turned out, you know, that that seven or eight points that went 
to Ramaswamy probably would have ended up mostly in Trump's corner, giving him, you know, a dominant 60 point performance as opposed to 51. And I think, you know, that's something that, you know, we should keep in mind going forward in terms of how it plays out and how many people come from that portion of the electorate uh, to back the former president. But overall, I just don't think all that much changes after Iowa. I think that there's a rationale for both DeSantis and Haley to stay in this race uh, and pushing them out still to me looks like a proposition that won't probably happen before South Carolina next month. Yeah, Vivek Ramaswamy in a joint event uh, today in New Hampshire alongside the former president. DeSantis saying he is trudging on a stop in South Carolina, then going to New Hampshire for a town hall. He says he's going to debate Harold, but Nikki Haley says, I'm not getting on the debate stage unless the former president or the president are on that debate stage. Well, first, um, I thought she did a great job in all the coverage. I thought the network did a great job in the coverage of, of the of the caucuses. Two, I, I agree with Ben in, in a big way, and I think he may agree with me when he says, I want to make sure I understand when he says that nothing has changed. I, I, I think I think he's think I think he's saying. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ben. That the, that the former president remains the dominant and controlling figure in the Republican Party. The president. You are correct, sir. <laughs> and, and so that in that regard, I completely agree with you. And I I, I would go a step further. I think last night on the uh, the network, Kellyanne Conway uh, made a plea for uh, I think Nikki Haley to drop out of the race. I don't know if she did the same for uh, for DeSantis as well, but I, I think at some point, if, if you, I put my Republican hat on, and I'm, I'm not a Republican, but if I put my hat on, I, you got to think he's going to be the nominee, the former president. I think the magnanimous tone he struck last night in his victory speech uh, was something I hadn't seen from him, nor was I expecting, I might add, from him last night after such a resounding victory. And I think, Ben, and you and uh, Brett both raised the, the, the right point in terms of Vivek Ramaswamy. Had he not been in the race, that seven or eight points would likely have gone to President Trump, giving him an even an even larger lead. It might have even made it where he would have won every county in the state. I think he only lost one county in a narrow margin to, uh, to Nikki Haley. Uh, so if you're a Republican, you want to get this race joined as quickly as you can against uh, the Joe Biden versus, versus Donald Trump, especially if it looks as if it's going to be Trump. And especially if Trump is in the frame of mind he was last night. Uh, there's some things that President Trump's going to have to shore up if he's going to beat Joe Biden. I know the favorable ratings for Joe Biden are low. I know he's losing in places that he wants to be up. I saw Georgia poll showing him eight points down. Uh, but this race will this race will get closer for a variety of reasons we can all speculate about, including uh, some of the, the the key issues that have animated the midterms last year, and even the the, uh, the I guess you call them super midterms with Kentucky and Ohio. In Mississippi and others over the last last couple of weeks, so I would agree with Ben. Nothing much has changed, uh, but I, if I were a Republican, I would want Haley and DeSantis uh, to, to to quickly realize that they're not going to be able to beat uh, Trump. I think you let him go through New Hampshire, uh, uh, and if, if if Nikki Haley can't win big votes in her home state, which I believe would be the next primary, I think it probably spells the end uh, end of her campaign. All right, we're going to take a quick pause here. We'll be back after this. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. I don't think anybody's, you know, doesn't look at the, the landscape and say the former president is in pole position. There are 
however, Ben, a lot of Republicans that, and maybe it's in the DeSantis camp as well, that want a just-in-case-break-glass kind of candidate because, one, uh, something happens legally with the former president and the dynamic change, another shoe drops, something happens. You know, there's a, there's a lot of kind of wondering they're going to box themselves in in New Hampshire if everybody drops out. You know, I, I think there definitely is that concern. And, and Brett, you know, I actually spent the last 72 hours or so uh, talking to a number of different members of Congress who were expressing kind of uh, surprise, I guess, that things haven't extended a bit further in terms of this primary process, expecting perhaps that it would stretch well into March uh, and have uh, some more competitive vibes to it. They, they expressed some surprise uh, that things seem to be resolving fairly quickly. Uh, and I think a big part of that is that exact concern, is that concern that uh, these legal cases as they play out are going to continue to weigh down the attention of the former president, the resources that he has to bring to bear. And there are a lot of them particularly concerned uh, about what will happen in the now you know narrowly held Republican House. Uh, they're they're perhaps a little bit more uh, ambitious and optimistic about what they see on the Senate, uh, simply because of the map uh, playing in their favor and the quality of candidates compared to perhaps the uh, experience that they had in 22. But there's a lot of concern related to that about you know what happens if we get into a a competitive general election and we see uh, these legal challenges take away votes from independents who are so critical uh, to winning back the White House for Republicans. Uh, and I think that that's something that is shared, frankly, by a lot of intelligent voters across the country. Uh, but they also, I think, are resigned to the fact that you know this is where the majority, the vast majority of their party is, uh, and no one really was able to find a strategy this time around. Uh, to take on the president, despite uh, the uh, you know massive success that Ron DeSantis had uh, going into this election and the kind of momentum that you saw early uh, that was behind him, I think in a, in a very real degree, the the lawfare efforts of the Democratic Party and Democratic officials across the country to go after the former president had the effect of boosting him enormously, and we cannot underestimate that. I agree with you, and I think. You know, there's all kinds of speculation. Was that all meant to happen? Do they really want to run against him? Of course, they want to run against him more than anybody else. But it did seem like some of this was designed to get him out, you know, take him off the ballots. Don't have him be a factor. If you looked, Harold, uh, months and months ago, and Ron DeSantis was coming off this massive win in the midterm, had tons of money, and the establishment Republicans and donors were circling the wagons for him. If you looked at last night's results and that months ago, I mean, you, you couldn't have guessed it. Yeah, there's an incongruence with, with a lot of this. I think that, uh, uh, I think one of the things that Ron DeSantis, his person and his campaign and the com combination of that reflect is something that is so present in politics on both sides of the aisle in a lot of ways, but it's manifesting itself more so on the Republican side because you have a group of presidential candidates. And he, and you know, three months ago, six, whenever it was, five months ago, six months ago, he was believed to be the second coming in politics. Uh, we always have one of these in in, in a primary in a primary uh, uh, and the Republicans have had a few more yeah. than the Democrats over the last go round. Scott mean, Walker, you what he, yeah, Tim um, Pawlenty. I could go down the uh, list, and there's there's no doubt about it. And 
and they're nice guys, but it just, it, they were not, the moment whatever happened just kind of overwhelmed them. You know, he tells you more what he's, what he's against than what he's for. And he's done a lot of things to Santos in Florida, but he seems to have a, a more of a chip on his shoulder. For some reason, voters, it just didn't resonate with, with voters. Look, I, I think was one of the points, Brett, that you and uh, Ben were making, or Ben was making, and you were, you were uh, commenting on it, was, you know, this effort to do what Democrats want Donald Trump as the nominee. Uh, the polling data suggests that Democrats should should want Donald Trump as a nominee and not want Nikki Haley. But I do think the efforts over the last year or so on the part of some, and even most recently in some of the some of the big battleground states, to disallow President Trump or disqualify him from running, uh, certainly would fly in the face of this idea that you definitely definitely want him. I think there are a group of people in the country. And I don't necessarily agree with them. I'm not for President Trump, but I don't think the way you do to take him off the ballot if he hadn't been convicted of anything. But there are a group of people who genuinely believe that he should not be allowed to be president or should not be allowed to run. He was disqualified because of the behavior on January 6th. That remains to be seen. The court will weigh in uh, on that issue. And obviously a, a jury may get to weigh in on that issue uh, as well. Um, but the data certainly shows that Trump, that President Biden has a better chance against Trump. He knows Trump. He's run against Trump and he's defeated Trump. Uh, once before. But I've warned my party. Donald Trump reminds me in many ways of one of my favorite character actors, uh, characters in a movie, a guy named Jason Bourne. Uh, you just can't contain this guy. And you don't know <laughs> where he's going to be, what he's going to do. What you do know is he's capable of many things. And last night, him speaking uh, magnanimously in, in a conciliatory tone about uh, Governor DeSantis and Haley, even Governor Bergen, who was in the room with him, you know, it, 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 the old adage in politics, you know, that's what happens in politics. Certainly some people say that negatively. Some people say that positively. However you say it, uh, I think it was apt last night. That's what happens in politics. Uh, and, and Donald Trump is showing an ability or at least a proclivity to want to be to bring a proclivity to help bring his party together around him. Uh, and if the legal issues you know, percolate and, and surprise. I mean, I think some of these guys have suspended their campaign so they could they could reenter if uh, if the opportunity or for that matter, the circumstances uh, compelled them to. Yeah. Last thing, Ben, you know, there's a circle of the a corner of the conservative voter base and punditry that really has a problem with Nikki Haley. Uh, if she does pull out a win in New Hampshire, there will be a, another corner of the Republican Party that says in order for Donald Trump to win independent suburban women, she he should put her on the ticket. There's, I mean, I'm talking a concerted effort to go after that possibility in Trump world. Um, what are the chances that that happens? I know it's not you know, ordained that he's the nominee as of yet, but it looks that way. Well, I, I certainly think that there's going to be a strong push uh, by a lot of rational people within the, the you know, the political commentariat and sphere, uh, you know, who are going to say, you know, if you want to uh, win back these independent suburban women voters, then you absolutely need to add her to the ticket uh, because, you know, those are the voters who she's going to compete for. I personally think that underestimates uh, the kind of animosity that a lot of those voters still retain for the former president. Uh, and that, you know, even with Nikki Haley on the ticket, I don't think that disabuses them of that notion. Um, the, at the same time, I, I think that there is uh, a a real recognition of a problem there 
uh, for the former president and one that I think he you know needs to address when it comes to naming a vice president, uh, regardless of who that is, it needs to be someone who I think uh, can reassure a lot of people uh, you know who have doubts and who are in that independent sphere. Uh, one thing though I would I would just note about Nikki Haley, she's kind of a cipher in a lot of these ways. The people who hate her the most and who ascribe a lot of different ideas to her. I'm not sure they've really ever made the case, from my perspective, that she actually is all the things that they claim that she is. Uh, and and while she may read as being perhaps you know softer or a bit of a throwback to say the era of 2012, you know I'm not sure that you can really make that case just given the the kind of of attitude that she's had and the, and the role that she had at the UN when she was there. And and frankly, I think you know was a, a pretty loyal soldier for a lot of the things that the Republican Party uh, claims to stand for. So it's it's an interesting situation where people read her as kind of being along the spectrum of a throwback to Bush era Republicanism that they uh, heavily dislike. Uh, but I'm not actually sure that's who she is. I think she's a little bit uh, more of of a uh, of a blank slate, uh, and that that can be both advantageous and and a disadvantage when it comes to national politics, as you know. That's right. Now we're off to New Hampshire at the end of the week, uh, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Now for a bit of history. 1968, after the Democratic Party nominated Hubert Humphrey, despite him not winning a single primary, Americans felt a change was needed in the election process to ensure voters, not just party leaders, had a fair say in who may go on to lead the country. Though many states held primaries from 1912 to 1968, they were largely non-binding, having little to no impact on where the state's delegates would be awarded. The dissatisfaction with this system led to the creation of the McGovern-Fraser Commission that established more transparent guidelines to the delegate selection process and laid the foundation for the nomination process we now see today. This move put power back in the hands of the people and is why we now see voters in states like Iowa and New Hampshire take their roles during caucuses and primaries very seriously as their votes often can and do shape the election ahead or at least trim the field. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com, wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. For Harold and Ben, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.